Well, hey, Chris. Oh, hey, John. And welcome back. Yay, here we are. Are you ready to talk about Better Call Saul? I'm ready and willing. We're talking about episode eight of season three, which was called Slip. This was written by Heather Marion, who last had a co-writing credit on the last episode of last season, Click, and directed by our old pal Adam Bernstein, who has directed episodes of Better Call Saul, episodes of Breaking Bad, and most noteworthy to me as a young man, a lot of They Might Be Giants videos and the Love Shack video and other other such things from the from the 80s into the 90s. Yeah. So in that sense, I would say I do think that cinematically, this was a really strong episode. Um, what were your thoughts on Slip? Um, I liked it, but I did feel like it was, uh, to a degree, one of those incremental episodes where you kind of knew, like, well, here's a bunch of the things we need to do with the characters and that we're going to do and and they do just do them you know and uh uh they still they do it well and it's a good show but uh, it it didn't hold a lot of big surprises it it held a, f- a fair amount of like ah, I thought that's what they were going to do and here we are doing it let's start off uh our story with some of the stuff that's going on with Mike I think that at the end of the episode we were left with a, a moment that we had to have known happened at some point, but we never quite pictured how it was going to happen. And it seems very natural. Um, I'm not quite sure if I know why Mike has decided now's the time to do something more serious with the money, but you can see how what has happened in his recent history, all the elements of just the things he's been thinking about. He's thinking about the sort of thing that might happen to him. Yeah. And, um, and so that's put his mind towards, it's a little bit more urgent that he figure out how to provide for Stacy and Kaylee in his absence. Yeah. Not just his his death, but his untimely death, you know. And it's like anybody thinking, you know, like, uh, now's a good time to uh, write my will. I'll go call a lawyer and have this done, you know. He's just like, hmm, now's, now's the time to put this money somehow, figure something out so that it can uh, be passed down. Yeah. I, again, we knew that was part of his his goals in Breaking Bad. It was a huge part of sort of the tragedy of him in the end was that he was trying to get something to them. Uh, and I don't think in the end he was able to. So it's, you know, again, very tragic, but we can see where that motivation comes from. Did you want to play the game of we were wrong or we didn't even think of what was really going on uh, as this episode revealed to me? How do you mean just just that uh, as far as how he might fall in with Gus to be doing an, a favor for Gus, maybe we supposed something more shocking and big and drastic than just like, hey, is there a way you can help me launder this money? Well, do me a favor. Well, that's that's interesting, too. I, I guess I didn't quite picture that conversation happening that way, but I was talking more about the earlier part of Mike's storyline where um, we discovered that it wasn't what we were really thinking about last week with his, his uh, probing Nacho. It was more about the Good Samaritans family knowing what happened to him. We'd supposed that maybe he was going to go out to the desert and search for some some clue about the widow's husband's disappearance. But instead, it becomes clear that eight years later, the corpse would not have been as complete as what he found. So that corpse was the Good Samaritan who was killed because he stopped to see what was going on uh, last season with Hector and his driver and so forth. Right, that's right. I didn't even figure out, yeah. Well, I mean, last night for a minute, I thought, oh, Okay, so I, I guess I'm not sure what's going on there. They didn't really bother to explain it. And then the widow didn't pop back up. And then it occurred to me, like, wait a minute. It's eight years ago. It's There's eight, no way yeah, the... That's what I had forgotten. And so, yeah, you're totally right that this must be that he's on to that person. And I was like, oh, that's so silly that I didn't think about that. That that is actually something that Mike is already thinking about, is this guy who was an innocent who died because Mike 
decided to interfere with Hector's drug operation. Right. Like it was something Mike was doing with a sense of righteous indignation, but it actually ended up being responsible for the death of an innocent. So of course that's something that's on his mind. And of course he's not a guy who can just disavow that and say, well, it's all in the business or anything. He's not there yet. Yep. Yep. So that, yeah, that's, that's a real development because uh, now he's told the police and uh, you know, everything has consequences on this show. So maybe they will, uh, you know, in just discovering that body and having a good look at it, um, end up tying it uh, back to the Salamancas. The only thing that's strange about that is I don't quite understand why Nacho would go along with something if it could blow back on him in any way. Because I'm assuming he gave Mike some information about what they did with the body. Right. Um, so you got to think, well, he he just for some reason thought, well, it's, it's harmless. They can't do anything with that. Uh, and... Uh, you know, Mike is sort of trying to do me a favor with this talk, and I'll 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 be nice to him. But um, yeah, that could have been a, a bad uh, decision on Nacho's part. We don't really know what happens to Nacho the same way we know what happens to Gus, Mike, and Hector. Right. And that makes his storyline, I think, pretty interesting. I don't know about you, but I was uh, sweating about as much as Nacho was in that scene where he had to plant the pills in Hector's jacket. <laughs> yeah, that was nerve wracking. That was that was really well done. My only qualm was that. I would have said, uh, you can't drop uh, some pills into a pocket and not have them rattling around. They they rattle against each other and they rattle against the plastic uh, bottle. So I I, I I was not on board for that one moment, but uh, I was totally on board for the tension of trying to change out the, the pills and count them uh, in your lap while the guy is sitting right behind you. Uh, that was... Nerve-wracking. It occurred to me that it's convenient that he needed the air conditioning to be off so that Hector would take off his jacket because that also disguised his own sweat. Yeah, that's true. What do you think of Nacho overall in this episode like, and where his character is now? And, and do we like this guy? Yeah, I like Nacho a lot. He's, he's great. And uh, uh, I thought that was all well executed. Um, but like I say, it's an increment where we knew, all right, he's got the, the, the ingredients for his plan. And on this episode, it's, all right, he's doing the plan we thought he would do. Um, so for that reason, it's like you, you, you can't say it's the most exciting thing you ever saw. But for being an increment like that, it, it was very well done. Sometimes I wonder if they're sort of shackled to the pace that they've established, meaning they couldn't jump ahead, you know, without having like a serious change in style. They can't suddenly have it be, oh, now he's made the pills and he just popped them into Hector's pocket and now we're watching that. They have to show that incremental step or they will somehow be breaking their own mold. Do you know what I mean? Right. The aesthetic of the show is to is to, is to show you the, the meticulous planning that goes into things and the uh, hard practice and everything. Right. So on to Chuck's storyline for this episode. I think that the scariest thing about Chuck's behavior in this episode to me was that at least for the majority of his time on screen in this episode, he was being very genuine and sincere. Um, and his failings were only evident through his sort of exuberance and lack of of uh, having his guard up, you know, speaking honestly on Chuck's behalf. Like if, if Chuck is feeling comfortable in speaking honestly, he will always in somewhere in there uh, tip your hat to the fact that he's kind of egotistical and he's he's very proud of himself and so forth. Yeah. But otherwise, he seems to be a guy who is really trying to beat his condition. How did you feel about Chuck in this episode, especially in regards to our general back and forth about, 
you know, which one of the brothers McGill would you want to have over for dinner? Well, this episode, I definitely would rather have dinner with Chuck. <laughs> he just, uh, you know, for what we see during this time, is a is a nice, genuine person. Maybe as usual, he's slightly high on himself or whatever. But he's a nice, genuine person who's trying to improve himself. Versus Jimmy, who we'll talk about later, I'm sure, uh, really has his his failings. But uh, but again, it was increments and necessary increments because they told us. Um, oh, Chuck is going to be trying to get over this and really ad- address his his allergy and see what he can do. And this episode was mainly about, oh, he's he's addressing it and seeing what he can do. He's so determined to be exceptional that he wants to be like the best person ever at recovery. You know? <laughs> right, right. It does seem like Chuck has grown beyond Jimmy at this moment in the, in the zone of just, I've got my own stuff to deal with. Right. Unless he's hiding it. Jimmy's not part of his of his frustration right now. Right. And I think that was interesting to see because it was like the writers were working really hard or the, you know, the whole show is working really hard to make us think right now, Chuck's not so bad, right? As we're starting to think, and Jimmy's pretty bad. But does that even last longer than this one episode? Because he's, he's just, you know, we leave him. He's just about to get told that his malpractice insurance is going up. And so is that going to immediately result in him being mad at Jimmy again? Maybe the point was to show us this glimmer of who Chuck could be if he weren't out to get Jimmy, if he really were working on himself before crashing him back down into right. the pit. You yeah. Know? So maybe he will be right down with Jimmy. Because right now, Jimmy does seem like, whether he's really mad at Chuck, it seems like he's just about decided that slipping Jimmy is who he is. And again, like you said, we'll definitely get to that in just a minute. I want to mention a little bit about Howard's relationship with Chuck, I'm wondering if their relationship is about to become more adversarial because of what's going on. Because if it is the firm somehow abandoning Chuck, that was foreshadowed a little bit with what Howard's storyline was in this episode, his interaction with Kim, and just the general thrust of the show. It does seem that if Chuck is on the downswing, one of the things that could happen that could really hurt him would be if, you know, if the firm wanted to be done with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like when I saw Howard being prickly with Kim and her getting prickly with him, that was, in my mind, more to set up just that they're not on good terms and it puts uh, Kim in more danger, you know, that that uh, if in the future, you know, they're trying to sue Jimmy or get back at Jimmy in some way or another, they'll, they'll have no qualms about, yes, and Kim is totally included in, in, in this and and uh, we're going after her at the same time. That That kind of thing just seemed like more likely to happen after this episode. Um, well, I guess we'll stay in the legal realm and move on to uh, Kim, whose storyline in this episode seemed to be about both her continued sort of fallout for what happened with Chuck, what she was able to do to Chuck in in, in court, and also um, just her professional insecurity about what's going to keep the business afloat and whether she has enough money coming in to support everything in light of the fact that she seems to know that either she can't count on Jimmy forever or that counting on Jimmy might mean opening the door to worse and worse behavior. Um, How did you see Kim's position this week in, in terms of her sort of trajectory towards either being at Jimmy's side while all this stuff continues to happen or someone who who leaves him uh, uh, in her dust pretty soon. Yeah, I don't know where we're going, but uh, I mean, we already talked about her her encounter with Howard. But uh, yeah, when she talks to Jimmy and um, 
you know, it just seems like she's on board for being there and supporting him until uh, he says, uh, you believe me, don't you? Which I think would make anybody suspicious after you've had a conversation with them and you haven't said anything about not believing them. And then she goes out and decides to take the extra client. And that really does make you think, okay. Uh, I mean, that to me just said, all right, she doesn't trust that he can keep making money uh, and may also be thinking, yeah, this guy, you never know what's going to happen coming up. So uh, let me go ahead and be a little safer and have another client. Well, I mean, she might be looking at a future where she's like, pretty soon he's going to be scamming me. Right. And I don't want to be counting on him at that moment. But I don't know that Jimmy realizes he is sort of beginning to scam her a little bit. Like, it seemed like he was kind of keeping her at arm's length, but without being totally unapologetic about it. Again, on paper, what he did was was good. She came in, he gave her some money, things are covered. Right. Things are fine. You know, boom. He, he solved a problem. He wants it to be over. I mean, but he said, maybe we can stop talking about that uh, in, in relation to the money, which again is the kind of thing you say when you're in a relationship with someone and you're being a little snide. I wondered if this episode has one of those titles that sort of applies to everybody. For Mike, this is a slip. Shaking hands with Gus is sort of sealing his fate. Um, for Nacho, what he did in this episode could be a slip towards something bad happening to him or mm-hmm. his plan not going quite according to plan. Mm-hmm. Definitely Jimmy's storyline has a, a literal slip, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, Chuck, to some extent, he's asking, what have I done? That's not the same question as how can I get better? That's a, what, you know, what was my mistake in this case? And, mm-hmm. in, you know, if he's about to have some consequences, maybe he's had a slip. So in that sense, I think that we can, we can say that Kim's slip is what? I don't think she's making a slip in this episode. I I I won't uh, I won't extend that to her. But what do you think? I don't know. I hadn't really thought much about it. I wonder if if um, taking on more business than she can handle is her slip. Right. No, you and, could say and, that if it turns out that way. Well, what if she gets a date wrong or an address wrong or a zip code wrong or something? Or whatever you do, or she's too overloaded and doesn't have time to finish something on time. I'm determined that she's too good of a character for all of her motivations to come from things Jimmy did. So if she does slip at this point, if she ends up in trouble, if she ends up in hotter water than she's in, I want it to be because of something she did as a character because I think it makes her more interesting. Right, but her slip would be when when she uh, continues to support him at a time when you totally should not. Right, which I think is hand-in-hand with her uh, maybe taking drastic measures to stay afloat. Like, I've got to do this because look at the position he's putting me in. She wouldn't be making that decision if she weren't entangled with him. You know, if she weren't entangled with him, there's a there's a cause and effect. Yeah. And I do think she still feels that she's in it with him. Like when she was talking to Howard, you were talking about how we kind of covered that. I do think Kim's side of it, there was something going on there that was a little different in the sense that, you know, she's sort of openly and willingly and publicly lumped in with Jimmy. She's not putting herself apart from Jimmy wholly. She's saying she sort of supported her client, but she's also saying that what Jimmy and I did was show things how they really are um, about Chuck's condition. Yeah, that is a, uh, a funny dichotomy about her because we know that she has uh, regrets about it or, or feels funny about it, but when she's talking to a person uh, besides Jimmy, she's going to say, we did what we had to do. I mean, I guess Paige is the only person that she has confessed a different point of view to. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked about everybody but the main guy. Um, I guess the first thing to say about Jimmy's storyline in this episode is the first thing that happens in the episode, which I'm not lying. I thought to myself, 
Marco is going to be in an episode. I just thought they've got to bring Marco back at some point. Mm-hmm. Loving Mel Rodriguez's work on Last Man on Earth uh, over on Fox has really helped me sort of fondly remember Marco, even though he hasn't been in the show for over a season at this point. Um, but I thought it was great to see him. I guess I would just kind of throw to you, what did you think of that opening scene and coming off of the last episode with uh, Jimmy's actions towards Chuck at the insurance company and then seeing that scene, it was painting a pretty uh, grim picture of of sort of the ethical uh, bearings of Jimmy from even before this show started. Oh, for sure. I think I think like we've said, it's uh, ever since that guy came into the shop and, you know, told him some people are wolves and some people are sheep, you know, that's when he started... Uh, going down this road, and so already at age uh, nine or whatever he was, he's like, oh, "This rube wants to give back this coin, and he could just have two dollars worth or four bucks, whatever it's worth." Um. So yeah, and I had to, but uh, even so, with that story, I still ended up that scene going like, "Yeah, but what was the point of showing us that?" It's nifty to get a little more information but you know it's always interesting to see how those flashbacks uh relate to the to the episode and later i had to ask myself wait how did it relate and i went back and rewatched that flashback so i could see what i thought it was and i feel like uh the uh the main gist you come away with is that jimmy has this this uh uh, philosophy that you should do whatever it takes. You know, his parents weren't willing to do whatever it takes, meaning they, you know, they wouldn't sell cigarettes and beer to the high schoolers, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you know, that relates to this episode because in a, in a couple of ways, he's doing whatever it takes, no matter how sketchy, uh, to uh, uh, accomplish his ends. Yes, I mean, I, I had the exact same experience I noticed that line the second time. I didn't notice it the first time as much. I mean, I, I heard it and I understood right. it. Right. But I didn't think about what, and when he said, they weren't willing to do what it took to make things work. Right. It didn't stand out as the moral of the scene, which later when you look at the whole episode, you could say, I guess that is the crux of what we got. You know, when he's at the Sklar Brothers music shop and they have given up all uh, cooperation, they're not going to be in on this anymore at all. That's the moment he says, you know, you know, you can do whatever it takes, and he, he goes for the drumstick. And, you know, honestly, the second time through, I viewed all of Jimmy's behavior. If you watch the whole episode, all of Jimmy's behavior seemed a little bit more justified and a little bit more amusing and a little bit less worrisome. I think the first time through, I'm very emotionally invested in the moral choices being made. Right. Whenever I watch this show, and then the second time through, I'm much more admiring the craft and the acting and the writing and the characters, and I don't feel as, like, tethered to... Like, I'm relating to Jimmy, and therefore I'm hoping he steers clear of trouble, you know, because I think mm-hmm. this episode became most entertaining when he leans into slipping Jimmy, you know, when he yeah. when he throws that drumstick down. That wasn't just something he thought of in the second. That was something he's experienced at. He knows how to do this. Yeah. And he b- did it brilliantly, you know. That was a great fall. Oh, my God. Was that a stuntman? Odenkirk is like a great uh, comedian, but he's not, you know, he's not Buster Keaton. So right. I, I don't think that he would have been able to do that and just said, you yeah, know, I'll do it. And I don't think they would let him. Yeah, you would think, but I who knows? So yeah, I, but I thought that scene played out nicely because you're right. It gave us just enough of like those guys are being kind of uh, assholes because th- they didn't try to meet him halfway. 
again, on the second viewing, him asking, is there any wiggle room seemed like a real important step because Jimmy is giving himself that last chance to say, I tried. Mm -hmm. They said, absolutely not. And get out. And it was like, okay, boom, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. I imagine those guys were mad enough at him at that moment to believe that he, he planned it. It was, it's on video and they don't want the trouble. Now remind me, if you remember, uh, Whose guitar was it? Is that the same guitar that he made mention of last time? Look, it's the guitar of this uh, player. It's, uh, it's Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple, who pl- who, who right. he was playing "Smoke on the Water." Right. I, that's what I was going to make sure of was that it was uh, "Smoke on the Water." He was playing the right song and everything, and that it was that guitar. It wasn't just some other guitar or something. So I'm glad they did all that. I mean, it's it's a coincidence that he happened to be sitting there with a guitar signed by Richie Blackmore because. Literally, the first thing any person does when they learn to play electric guitar is figure out the riff to smoke on the water. <laughs> right. F- figure out the dumb, wrong version, which is what he was playing. But, you know, like you go, you go oh, bah, bah, bah. You f- that's an easy one. It's, it's in your it's in your brain. Yeah. But yes, uh, that was, I think, an added kind of meta joke that that's the that's the song. And it happens to actually be signed by Richie Blackmore. Yeah. I'm so glad that we got to see that flash of chicanery and that flash of... Well, the consequences, he actually did hurt his back. You see later on the job site that he's, when he's out doing community service, you can see that his back really is bothering him. <laughs> he's he's not performing for anyone when he's like crouching and he comes up and his, his back hurts. Right. But also it sets up what that last scene uh, in the community service plot line, wh- where we see, I mean, not just a moment that says Saul Goodman is anything we've seen on this show. It's exactly the story we picture Saul Goodman having, where there's a guy who's maybe not the greatest guy. This guy's a drug dealer. Uh, but he cares about his little kid, and Jimmy sees, wait a minute, no one cares about this guy's plight just because he's made some mistakes? Yep. His anger at the world, his bitterness at how he's been treated, he's able to channel that and say, I don't care if people think I'm the asshole. Yep. I can help this person. And yes, he did do it for money, but this guy's got a fat wad in his pocket, and he would rather pay someone than deal with these consequences. So it's like you start to see... Uh, Jimmy discovered that symbiotic relationship of I can help people with something I can actually do for them. And yet these are people that other people don't want to help. Yep. It really was like Saul Goodman's first act in a way that, uh, and Jimmy has just earlier this episode threatened someone with a lawsuit. And, you know, if it hadn't dawned on him before, it really hit him then. I'm great at threatening someone with a lawsuit. (laughs) And in this moment, I can threaten someone with a lawsuit really hard. And it's very scary and uh, it's a it's a magical superpower of scamming that I've developed besides just uh, old-fashioned slipping in a grocery store. It's like I'm a real lawyer now. I can really do this. He's got the weight of real experience and actually knowing the law. So he's actually smart about this stuff. He, he actually knew what he was saying to the guy. I mean, he right. definitely was sort of pointing out what's wrong with our litigious society. Not to say that people shouldn't be suing people for certain things, but that it's easy to ruin someone's life by suing them. Right. And whether they're guilty or not, whether there was another way to work it out or not. Uh, and it reminded me also of the conceit of this character that I heard a long time ago when they were talking about doing a show with him, but it was before they really revealed what it would be. This notion of just the lawyer who keeps things out of court, you know? Yeah. On 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 Breaking Bad, it seemed very much like that was what he did. It was that he went and made a deal and got some guy a lighter sentence and whatever. Right, or he threatens to sue people, but he doesn't really sue them. Right. That kind of thing would be just what you would expect from Saul. Maybe, that, maybe that's something they can start 
playing out now is that he is expert at making someone think it's not worth it. Uh, and the way he bullied that guy into accepting it, I mean, the one thing is that guy really is an asshole. And we've come to realize that, that he's a little bit harsher than he has to be. But the way Jimmy bullied that guy was like fun to watch because it does seem like that guy deserves it. But it was a little scary how good he was at just pointing out. He said something that was like brilliant, but also totally cruel. Um, he says, uh, out here, you might be King Douche Nozzle, but in court, you're little people. Yep. Yep. But I also just kind of wanted to mention that uh, the the guy's reaction to Jimmy in that moment. He says, oh, fine, asshole. I was like, that is the reaction to Saul Goodman. Yeah, right. I give up. You're a jerk, but there's nothing I can do right now but give up. And that moment when he's laying on his back and he's counting the money is about as Saul Goodman of a shot, <laughs> as we've seen on either of the two shows. You know, that it's like he got 700 bucks from a drug dealer for helping him out with something no one else would help him out with. Yep. So that felt momentous, even in an episode that did not have the, the, the fireworks that we might expect. I mean, it was similar to the moment of Mike shaking hands with Gus. It was not like you didn't hear thunder in the distance when it happened. But if you think about things, you're like, okay, that actually is, you know, uh, like the, the, the gun is loaded and it's cocked. Right. These are like some understated ways to load and cock a gun. I guess that kind of wraps up the episode. And anything else I have to say is kind of couched in what we don't normally do, which is some predictive stuff. But since we're getting so close to the end of the season, I do have a couple of thoughts that I want to maybe chat with you about that that relate to just what might be coming up ahead. So if anybody is listening and they they don't want to hear anything remotely spoilery, like if you don't watch the next week on that AMC tags on to the end of every episode or whatever, you can stop listening. But otherwise, I think Chris and I will get into some speculation uh, right now mm. based on what we know. Uh, so one thing we've known for a while, and it may have come up on the show already, but I don't think so, is that we've known for a while that the names of the episodes uh, for the final three episodes of the season have a certain element of knowing what the show is. You were able to kind of look at them and guess what they might be about. And then I did hear Vince Gilligan or Peter Gould one say that the final three episodes, their titles sort of tell a story. Mm -hmm. And so I had that in mind and we had already discussed it. But this episode was episode eight, Slip. Next week, episode nine is Fall. And then episode 10 is Lantern. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, Slip and Fall go well together. And we've actually seen Jimmy just pull off a Slip and Fall. Mm -hmm. But if this was an episode where people are slipping or where Jimmy is, is slipping... Um, which is, again, it's very easy to relate that word to Jimmy because Slip and Jimmy is a thing. And we definitely saw Slip and Jimmy in this episode. The question of what the fall is, yeah. is is on my mind. And also then there's only one way to interpret the word lantern thus far. Now, that it may be completely different in the episode. I can't help but believe that lantern is a reference to Chuck's lantern that he carries around his house. And it's, it's I mean, the next thing you think is, is he going to burn the house down? Or is Chuck's house going to burn down? Mm. So that's my thought. Uh, slip, fall, lantern. It seems very foreboding. Uh, I don't want Jimmy to be responsible for something bad happening to Chuck or something happening to Chuck's house, but that could be where they go. I just don't know. What do you think of those three titles and the story they might be telling? I don't know if you're right or not. I hadn't thought so much about the lantern, you know, going with slip and fall and, you know, indicating maybe there's going to be a fire or something. I had just thought, well, slip and fall, and fall is going to be a, a bigger fall from grace for Jimmy. He's going to he's going to fall into doing something worse yet than what we've seen. 
but the lantern, I just thought, mm, has to do with going back to Chuck, but uh, you may be right. It could be as bad as that. It seems like it relates to Chuck, I guess, is my only thought, is that I could see Chuck having either a literal or a figurative fall in the next episode. And um, if Jimmy somehow fails to help him in a way that he could, maybe that is Jimmy's fall, as you said, further from Grace. And then Lantern, I just don't know. I mean, again, it could be completely a different direction, but that's just where my mind's been at. So yeah, as a season finale, that would seem like some place you could go. But no matter what, it's a it's a good, uh, interesting, difficult test of, of uh, Jimmy's scruples now when we know he's in such a spot of being like, I'm done with Chuck. I, I'm totally over helping him anymore. If Chuck falls very low and, you know, either has literally broken his hip or doesn't have a house or something, That's that would be a big uh, uh, dramatic question of, well, now does Jimmy go to help him? Because if he doesn't at that point, eesh. Another fall could be if next week Hector has his incident and he falls down. Right. And there could be a literal fall. Right. We know he's headed for one. Yep. Maybe it all takes place in uh, October. That's what it's about. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hey, We'll soon find out. I don't have anything else, so unless you do. I think we wrapped it up. All right. Then you know what we say. That was a hot talk. Hot talk. Halt. Oh, huh? What? What? That wasn't a hot talk yet, Chris. Oh. I wanted to point this out to you because this speaks to the sort of attention to detail uh, in the writer's room on this show. And whether that means they're really good at coming up with something and then sticking to it and then referring back to it later, or if they're just really good at later looking back at a detail and thinking of a way to bring it in to the current story. It seems like everything has a meaning and everything is planned out. So yep. I just wanted to send you this little quick snapshot from the first episode of Better Call Saul and uh, see if you notice something. Hmm. And you should know that this is from the first Gene uh, flash forward where Gene's in his house and he pulls out the shoebox that has his Saul tape in it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now I see it. And there's the box of Band-Aids. This coin box. Right. And so so it's not just Saul Goodman that is in that box. I mean, it, you make, it makes you think like, okay, Gene is in Omaha and he's got this one little box and hidden in the back of his closet that he even closes the blinds before he takes it out. You know, he doesn't want anyone yep. to know that he's got this past life. He opens it up at the beginning of the show. We were thinking, Oh, that's where he keeps Saul Goodman basically. But now yep. we know that's where he keeps Jimmy too. Yeah. He uh, well, or his childhood. That's where he keeps his box of coins that he hid in the ceiling in the store. Right. Which is significant to him for reasons that we just found out. Now, did they know when they put that box in there on the first episode of this show that it contained his coins or was was that something when in this episode they wanted to have coins come into it they said oh we have that on the list of details that we can refer back to it's a band-aid box so right who knows how they make these things but that's cool either a cool catch by the writers or a cool looking ahead by the writers i'm not sure which yep yep awesome i'm glad we went back and picked that up that was a hot talk oh you are so right <laughs>